welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Stacy Grace of Kent. So welcome to the show, Stacy. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. For those listening who are meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, so I'm the founder and CEO of Kent. We're a plastic-free, landfill-free, organic underwear brand for women and men, and all of our underwear basics are fully compostable at end of life, and we're based in LA. That's so cool. (laughs) um so kind of starting at the beginning like do you have a background in fashion or like how did you get started in this business so I did study I did a master's in strategic fashion marketing in London and this was in the late 2000s and at a time when sustainability in the apparel industry was really starting to become a bit more mainstream. And Mm -hmm. I was super excited to see mostly at that time, a lot of small brands tackling these really big problems of waste or toxic materials um, or fast fashion. And at the time it was, I'd say 90% small to medium-sized brands looking at the biggest problems in apparel. And I just got very excited, wanted to be part of this new movement and worked for a couple of brands um, in London, moved to Copenhagen, moved to the U.S. I'm originally from Toronto and worked with both kind of um, apparel brands, as well as textile companies that are trying to make positive change in the in the fashion space and eventually thought about just my own wardrobe and my own clothes and saw one huge gap that wasn't being tackled at the time of underwear and how the use of plastics particularly was being used I'd say for the majority, if not all underwear. And Mm -hmm. I thought that could change. Yeah. And I do think it's a big gap. It's like one of those things, one of those categories where the fabrics are, you you get less natural fiber options in like swim or lingerie or just underwear in general, those areas. So absolutely. They typically rely heavily on synthetics like nylon elastane or spandex, which are all fossil fuel and petroleum based uh, Mm -hmm. materials, which I think at the time of their invention, it was a huge breakthrough, but now we're realizing, okay, this is actually not a good for the planet in terms of how these materials are created, but also at the end of life, they constantly Um, shed microplastics in every wash Mm -hmm. and there really isn't a finite end of life solution for these materials because they they are synthetic and they will continue to pollute so Mm -hmm. so definitely a fan of of natural solutions and we need to get innovative as you said for underwear and swim and things like that Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like plastic maybe one of those like the asbestos of our generation where like everyone thought it was so cool and then we're like oh shoot this is actually not as great as we thought like now we need to figure out what to do with it and how to get rid of it yes Um, yeah so I think it's uh going back a little bit I think it's really interesting how you brought up that it was a lot of the smaller to mid-sized brands that were really tackling this this big issue of sustainability and fashion Um, Do you have any thoughts on like maybe why that is and why maybe the bigger brands are slower to um, get into that movement? I think a lot of change when it comes to any cultural shift or industry shift that it oftentimes does start at a grassroots level where you have a couple of 
visionary folks who are really excited and passionate about making change. And smaller brands, just as a function of their size, can be more nimble and take risks and challenge the status quo a little bit easier than larger brands who might have inherently built in policies or legacy thinking where if they've done certain things in a certain way for so long, it's a larger ship to try to change course or turn around. And so I think because sustainability 20 years ago was so new that experimenting both in terms of product, but also in terms of communication, no one really had a guidebook on how to do it because Mm -hmm. a lot of brands separated any policy or environmental commitments from their brand identities. And now we're seeing, okay, like a brand can stand for both fashion and style, but also more responsible practices. So Mm -hmm. I think now brands have realized, okay, we can, we can do both and we can do both well. So there's an appetite to take a bit more risk and adopt some of this new thinking that the smaller entrepreneurs of the past have have already done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it is, I, I agree, where it's like a smaller brand or smaller company can pivot so much more easily and are are able to, you know, make change happen and aren't as reliant on, you know, decades of, this is the way we've always done it. Um, but exactly. yeah, it's, it's not easy either way, but it it's maybe a little easier at a, at a smaller company. And, but I'm, I'm glad to see that both small and, you know, larger companies now are starting to kind of take sustainability more seriously and kind of rethink how we approach fashion. Definitely. And to your point, I think small brands probably have the ambition and the thinking and the nimbleness to move in that quick, but they lack, and I can speak from our perspective, the resources sometimes Mm -hmm. to make material changes. So Mm -hmm. because we don't own our fabric mills and we don't have endless amounts of capital to invest into developing new materials. I mean, we are doing that now, but the supply chain resources of a big brand are really exciting because they are the ones who can really shift the needle and push suppliers and kind of go down the supply chain to urge better practices where smaller, Mm -hmm. mid-sized brands are, and same with us, we're constantly searching for what folks are already working on and how can we adopt that into our brand nice I do want to dive into that more but um first I'd I'd love to hear like okay so you you got your master's um in fashion and were interested in sustainability but um did you always know that you were going to start this brand like did you go to get that degree knowing you were going to start this underwear brand or did the brand idea come later So the idea for the brand actually came about when I was doing my thesis at London College of Fashion, and it wasn't fully formed in terms of what it is now, but I had an inkling of there's this underwear category and there needs to be change. I was talking to friends who all felt the same way. And so I think that was the early genesis of Kent and where it eventually began. But it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and saw the manufacturing sector that was still here. It definitely limited compared to what it had been in the past. Mm-hmm. But being here on the ground and being able to visit factories and meet sample makers who could help bring this idea to life just took me like leaps and bounds ahead where I thought, okay, this, 
amorphous idea in my mind in London can actually happen here in Los Angeles. Mm. Yeah. So when you're in Los Angeles, like what was, what was maybe some of the first steps you took then to make the idea happen? Two of the biggest things were one doing material R and D. So finding the right materials and trims for our products Mm -hmm. and two finding the right manufacturing partner. And I'd say both took a couple of years in order to find the right blend and Mm -hmm. both um, manufacturing, but also finding partners to help with our sampling to ensure fit and design and trials to ensure that we had the best products possible. So it was um, definitely a lot of operational on the operational side of things in order to get up and running. And then of course, speaking to as many women as possible to understand, do they want this? And is this Mm -hmm. exciting? And do they care about this as much as I care about this? (laughs) So some, some market research and ad hoc conversations happen at the same time too. Gotcha. And yeah, I think that groundwork is so important, like finding the right factory, finding the materials, doing customer research are all the things like even pre-design and development in some ways that really set the foundation for the brand and take along, you know, they're kind of never ending, but they, it's like one of the first things where it's really great to have that foundation to start from. Absolutely. And I think especially when you're new and starting a brand for the first time that you need to find those partners that sometimes are open to taking a chance on you, especially from the Mm -hmm. manufacturing side where you might not have the largest minimums that other companies do because you're just starting out. And so finding those partners who believe in you, believe in your vision and are excited to work with you, I think is so incredibly valuable and uh, it does take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were some of your frustrations with kind of the underwear out in the market? I know you already mentioned the, um, you know, synthetic fibers versus natural fibers. Was there anything else that you set out to do differently with Kent? Aside from the material frustrations, there were two other kind of challenges I saw in the space. One was the image being portrayed in the underwear category, where again, kind of 10, 15, 20 years ago, all underwear brands seemed to focus on this very hypersexual image of women. Mm-hmm. And not for the celebration necessarily of women's bodies, but for someone else where I thought, okay, I want to actually buy products that make myself feel good for me, not just for someone else. Mm -hmm. And specifically when it came to basics, everyday wear, it felt like there could be something that both celebrates the female body, but also in a more style driven way rather than purely a sexual way. Mm-hmm. And so that was one lens through which I wanted to develop the brand. And then the other lens was through the end of life component where there was no options. And there's also still really limited options on what to do with your underwear when you're done with them, because you can't donate them, you can't resell mm-hmm. them compared to other categories. So recycling has started to emerge and we offer a recycling program for non-Kent underwear, but for Kent underwear, everything's composted. So there's a more regenerative end of life option that we wanted to tackle through this new kind of soil um, safe lens. Yeah, that's really cool. And I bet what was were there challenges to getting kind of the whole garment to be compostable? Um, and like what was what was the process like 
testing the compostability of the, each piece? Yes, so definitely a big challenge where we had to look at our entire supply chain front to finish, every component that would go into the product, threads, elastics, dyes, washes, the fabric itself to make sure that everything was as natural as possible and safe to go back into the earth. So mm -hmm. that was definitely a big R&D challenge and project that took quite a while to get us up and running um and so happy that we have found solutions and i'm excited to see even more solutions coming up um around the industry for not just biodegradable but compostable options because there's an important difference there where just because something is biodegradable doesn't mean it's compostable and having something be compostable is where the actual value is of being turned into a nutrient rich soil that can capture and sequester carbon versus biodegradable might have no, it will disappear or to a certain extent, but not have any net benefit once it does disappear. Mm. Um, and then in terms of testing, we worked with uh, LA Compost here. It's a local nonprofit and they put our underwear in their compost pile to test to see how long it would take to disappear. And it took 90 days, which is uh, really less than cool. avocados. Yeah, which is yeah. really great to see. So so yeah, it's um, it was great to have their stamp of approval and a third party test and verify that indeed our products do work at end of life as intended. Mm -hmm. So is, are they able to be composted just like a home or garden compost? Yes, absolutely. You can compost Kent at home and we provide a little tutorial on our website for how to do it if you have access to one. Nice. Yeah, that's so cool because there aren't, you know, I've thought about that too. It's like, what do I do with like, I hate throwing out textiles and clothing, but like you said, you can't donate or like recycle underwear really. And there, you know, there's not too much to kind of deconstruct or like use pieces of even later um, because it is pretty small. So that's really cool that it's able to be composted and so easily and quickly too. Yes. Um, I will say the 90 days might vary a little bit depending on everyone's compost composition in your backyard. So mm -hmm. everything like temperature, the uh, moisture levels, the microorganisms in there, everything that makes a compost so great um, might change the timeline slightly, but it will for sure fully disappear. Yeah. It's still a lot less than even like some food compost, like you said. Yes, definitely. Awesome. So yeah, what, so you'd mentioned you had gotten a lot of feedback from other women on the idea. Was that just through like casual conversations or did you do anything kind of more formal to get that feedback? We did both having... Every chance I got to ask someone about their underwear, I did, <laughs> um, whoever was willing. And we also sent out a survey to 500 uh, women to ask them about their experience of underwear, what they are looking for, what they're missing, this concept, if they'd be excited about it. So we did, yeah, both. And we're always constantly asking our community for feedback because I think the special or challenging thing about underwear is that fit, fit and style are very personal and everyone's mm -hmm. body is shaped uniquely to them. So constantly trying to understand how we can offer either more sizing or more style options to fit more body types. So I think customer feedback and talking with our community is just a, a never ending conversation that we want to have. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, what you mentioned, kind of the different designs and the fit. So after you kind of laid the groundwork and found your factory and sourced the materials and did your compost testing, um, what was it like actually developing the first, like, did you launch with one style or multiple styles? And what was that like kind of developing the fit and style of the briefs? So we started with three different styles of underwear, a high waist bikini and thong. And the reason for that, I, I myself personally just love high waist underwear, but I also know that not everyone does. <laughs> and so we wanted to offer solutions for a more, I guess, popular style in the bikini and then a thong for a more seamless option if you're looking for no panty lines. Mm -hmm. And developing prototypes where we would fit both on myself as well as a fit model and running trials of washing, wearing, testing. We've also sent out new prototypes and samples to our community. We have uh, a group called our inner circle where they test out new designs and provide feedback what's working what's not working what can we tweak um so it it definitely is not a quick process but i think it's so important to get that right and especially as the more people try the product then the more feedback we get and we're constantly mm -hmm. looking to refine the fit to make it as best as possible for everyone so it's a it's never completely finished i would so <laughs> yeah I feel like clothes never are like there's always that's why I like recommend to my clients and work work with like get it like good how you like it you know but then don't endlessly perfect it and revise it over and over again like get it out there and get feedback because that will give you more information on okay what revisions are important how is the fit like there will be tweaks later so like start with a small group and, you know, test, test the product, get the feedback. Absolutely. That's the, the best advice. See it as like wet clay where you get it to a certain point and then you'll continue to mold it once you have that input. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, as you're developing these, like what were some of the, the feedback, either positive or negative that you got about like what do people love about the pieces um and maybe if there were any things that you kind of pivoted halfway through based on feedback what were those yes so what people love I think is the material that we use it's this really beautiful Peruvian organic cotton and it just feels so nice on the skin it's like has a natural bounce it is cooling and just super silky soft. It, it took me a while to find an, an organic cotton that I was in love with myself. And I mm -hmm. think everyone else is kind of seeing, okay, there's a difference to this one. It's a really long staple. So it's not scratchy or pilly or anything like that. And it washes really nice. Um, one thing that we do get feedback on and we're looking for alternatives is just the use of elastic with underwear provides um, or doesn't provide a zero panty line, zero seamless option. Mm -hmm. um, so right now the seamless underwear that you see on the market is all synthetic based. Mm -hmm. And so there isn't a natural alternative yet. Um, I say yet because I know there's always a solution. So working on finding something that could provide a solution to the unwanted panty lines um, in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I still feel like the elastic, like I haven't tried on one of your pieces, but just like looking at the pieces on your site and the photos, it doesn't look bulky though. Like it looks, you know, like a nice substantial fabric, but still like, not bulky or uncomfortable um, yeah for sure and I think if 
some customers are used to wearing only seamless underwear that like super razor thin synthetic, then Mm -hmm. maybe coming to us is a huge shift, which I totally understand. Um, So it's, yeah, just understanding where people are coming from and um, what we can do right now. And I think there's always opportunity to do things a little bit different in the future. Mm -hmm. For sure. So what we've talked about, like the natural fibers, and that's something that people love about it. Um, Are there benefits um, other than not being plastic of the natural fibers and especially specifically as they relate to undergarments? Definitely. So studies have shown that wearing 100% natural materials for underwear can help prevent irritation or infection, particularly in women. Um, where if you're wearing a synthetic garment, it restricts breathability, which is the number one promoter or uh, instigator for infections. Um, Mm -hmm. So breathability is the number one important thing when it comes to underwear and keeping things as healthy as possible. And I will say that's also true for the men's side where when my husband and I were thinking about having a baby, we looked into, okay, what type of underwear should he be wearing to best enable our chances of that being possible? Mm -hmm. And it was a hundred percent natural, less tight, um, briefs. And we had a really hard time finding anything that was 100% organic cotton and in a boxer brief type of style. So we ended up creating one and Mm -hmm. he's obsessed with it. And we got (laughs) pregnant. I'm not attributing it to (laughs) just the boxer brief, but um, it was a, a personal motivation for that, that product as well. So I think there's benefits for both Uh, men and women when it comes to choosing the right materials for underwear Mm -hmm. yeah the breathability is like you can really tell the difference I feel like when with undergarments or like socks even where you wear Mm -hmm. something that's synthetic and it's it's like your skin yeah it's not it's not breathable and it's not as like you know if you're especially it gets pretty hot and humid in the summertime where I live. And so it's like, I don't want to wear something that's like sticky. You know, I want something to be like very airy and light and and it's like the natural fibers have a very different feel. (laughs) I know when you start thinking, thinking about the materials that your clothes are made of, I find even if you're wearing a shirt that's made of polyester, it does feel so restrictive and yeah, it just doesn't feel good on your body because your skin can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned the the men's brief style. So is there just the one men's and then, um, and I think looking at your site, you have more than three women's styles now, right? Yes. So now we have four styles for women. Uh, we added a hipster. That was a really popular in-demand style. And for men, we have just the one boxer brief for now. We did a pre-order last fall, um, just after we appeared on Shark Tank. And then we will be launching them end of this month. Um, So we'll be shipping out all those orders and launching it for official sale the end of March. Exciting. Yeah, super excited. I think it's hopefully filling I think it's filling a gap in the men's space for something very simple amazing quality and healthy um Mm -hmm. and and then we also have our t-shirts for guys and girls as well as a pairing to the to the briefs well yeah so you mentioned you're on shark tank so can you share a little bit more about that like how did you get on and how did it go Shark Tank was such an amazing experience for us. And I think, well, we initially applied and the producers reached out to us, really loved our story. And 
we worked with them for, I want to say eight months to perfect our pitch and co-design the set and do a little filming behind the scenes. So it was a very rigorous process, I will say, that perhaps we didn't anticipate going into it, but the producers we worked with were so incredible and they helped us hone in our elevator pitch for our business over Mm -hmm. those few months down to, I think it was 60 seconds when we appeared on Shark Tank. So it, it was an incredible process and we feel very lucky to have gone on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I'm curious, what is the 60 second pitch? Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. I memorized it and I think I've wiped it <laughs> from mm-hmm. my memory. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I know sometimes it's like when you're like practicing for something like that, it's like in your memory, but then you're like so nervous that you don't really like you remember it, but you don't really remember it. And so in in the moment, but yes, I could recite it if I need to, but maybe I'll just say Google or watch us watch it on YouTube. It'll uh, be better yeah, than yeah. me reciting. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, put the link to that in the show notes. Cool. Awesome. So yeah. So you make all the pieces in LA still, is that correct? Yes, everything's made here in LA. Awesome. And then the materials, you said the fabric is Peruvian? Yes, our main fabric comes from Peru and we source the rest of the trims and we do the dyeing um, here in the US. Gotcha. So you have a pretty tight, like, supply chain too where you're not like shipping all over the place it sounds like yes and that was a function of both trying to be as conscious as possible but also as simple as possible to make our business and operations streamlined Mm -hmm. while at the same time still having control over our supply chain where I think a, a lot of brands particularly larger ones their supply chain can be a bit of a black hole where they might purchase finished goods from a factory, but not know where everything that goes into that garment is sourced mm-hmm. from. And so I wanted to maintain uh, control and just awareness and understand exactly where things are coming from, who they're coming from, are they responsibly made, all of that. Um, so that was important for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be a huge thing that I think a lot of people like first coming into the fashion industry don't realize is how difficult it is to really trace all the aspects of your supply chain, like back down to the materials. Um, was that kind of a challenge um, for you to find, like find the information and really trace back all those or was that relatively easy once you had kind of decided to go that route and have kind of control over all that, the materials? I think because we did control the purchasing of every input from the outset, that it was easy for us to to manage that process versus trying to reverse engineer in a way. Mm -hmm. So Um, I think when we started, we made that decision. And so we just kind of stuck with it. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, what, what does your day to day look like in the brand? Like, what parts are you doing? What parts are you working with? You know, uh, like, do you have a team that works with you? Are you kind of working with the factory on things? You know, what does your work look like, I guess? Yeah, um, so we have an incredible team. And we have um, Bernice on our team who manages all of our customer interactions and questions and fielding that, um, assisting with orders. We have uh, Kiara on our team who manages all of our social media and content creation and content partnerships, um, influencer relations. We have a fulfillment center in Los Angeles that ships out all of our orders. Um, And then my co-founder is Jeff, my husband, and he oversees all of our marketing and copywriting, how the brand talks about 
our products, our mission, and absolutely everything. <laughs> um, and then my domain, I look after the product, the design, the sustainability side, the operations, um, and also overseeing some of our communications that go out. So my day-to-day -day can be wildly different from choosing colors for our next season through to uh, speaking with you <laughs> um, or speaking um, with our partners to visiting our factory and seeing our production happen and checking in to make sure everything's going smoothly to researching new materials um, through to designing the website. So <laughs> wearing multiple hats um, is the, the name of the game right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's that's entrepreneurship in a nutshell, right? <laughs> exactly. You have to be comfortable leaning into many different skill sets where you may or may not be the expert, but surrounding yourself, I should mention, we also have an amazing roster of advisors that have brought in incredible expertise and support us every step of the way. So while we can't afford a, a full robust team at the moment having advisors that have built successful brands like ours has been game-changing um to give us that insight and help us get ahead even quicker yeah yeah that's a great point um how did you like make those connections with advisors like are they people you know personally because I, I think a lot of um designers and entrepreneurs are looking for that type of you know mentorship or advising and are kind of nervous or not sure, like, how do I find that? Or how do I reach out and ask somebody for that if I, I would love to get their advice? So I think our advisor team is a combination of people that I have known previously and others who I've met through networking or referrals or I posted on a female founders forum that I was looking for an advisor who had experience specifically in launching a D2C business. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took all roots and looked at both my network as well as just put it out there on a relevant um, community website and was successful with both ways. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Those are great tips. Um, so how long have, like, when when did you officially, like, launch Kent? How long have you been in business? We launched in June of 2020. Oh, okay. And so we're fairly young, um, still in our first three years. Yeah, but it seems like you've been able to accomplish a lot, though, in those three years. And especially during, I mean, launching in 2020 is, you know, extra challenging, I feel like. Yes, um, we didn't want to delay it anymore. And we had this idea, we had done a Kickstarter before the year before. And so we had this momentum and wanted to get it out there in the world and Yes, lockdown was challenging for a number of reasons. Luckily, we produced locally mm -hmm. um, where there was a hiatus of factories um, only producing for um, medical purposes. Mm -hmm. But when things opened up a little bit more, we were back up and running. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in your day to day, like how have things, you know, it's been almost well coming up on three years like you said so um how have things changed maybe since you first launched or what are maybe some lessons that you've learned um since you first started yeah I think um a couple of lessons that I've learned since launching um one is to maintain 
your nimbleness as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So not over investing in inventory where maybe we had done that in the past, but um, not spending too much on inventory to both give yourself some breathing room from a cash flow perspective, but also if there does need to be any changes that you can do that as well. Mm-hmm. And then two, I think it's testing out what your community will really love. So we've done pre-orders with colors or uh, new styles to understand what's really resonating um, with people rather than producing a ton outright. Um, so I think engaging your community and really understanding and taking feedback to see what they want um, rather than deciding perhaps in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really smart. I'm curious. So um, with pre-orders and, and just thinking about like the type of product and consumer behavior around that, um, have pre-orders like worked well for underwear? Like I, I'm um, I'm just trying to think of, you know, are people willing to wait to get, you know, like pay an order ahead of time and wait to get the product when it is kind of a basic everyday underwear piece? So we do pre-orders um, only in certain instances, not all the time, because we know okay. sometimes when, yeah, you need underwear, you you need it. You need <laughs> right underwear, <away>. yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to wait. Um, so it's more moments of time where we, for instance, for Earth Month, we release a collection every year that is only made to order for the purposes of it being... Um, like a zero waste where we don't want to overproduce and have inventory sitting around. Um, We want to Mm -hmm. practice the most responsible production possible. Um, So I think in certain moments it, it does make sense. And some, I think customers are excited by the idea of getting in and having their products um, made especially for them and having access to colors or styles that might not be available year round. That makes sense. Yeah. So it sounds like you have kind of like the core colors and pieces that like, if you need something now, you can go and order that whenever, but that people are willing to wait and get excited about kind of this, the special or limited edition options. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice mix of kind of best of both worlds. For sure. Um, Yeah, so I'm curious, is there a story behind the name Kent? Uh, Yes, so we kind of looking back at one of the reasons why I started the brand where I wanted it to be less about sex and more about style and not the typical underwear brand that was on the market. So having a name that was strong and sharp, um, also a little bit gender neutral was important. And um, I looked to one of my favorite superheroes being Superman and how he takes something off to become his super self. And we're in the underwear business and he's in the saving the world business. It felt like a good marriage, Superman's alter ego being Clark Kent. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. That's a that's a fun story. Thanks. Um, yeah, and it is a cool name. It's like memorable and short, easy to spell, which is always. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the story is, it makes it even more cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been talking about kind of sustainability and the different um, aspects of that with Kent, but I'm curious, what is, like, how would you define sustainability? Because it's one of those words where it can mean a lot of different things to different people, and there are different aspects that are, like, more important than others for kind of each individual and brand. So how would you define it, and what are kind of the important aspects for Kent? Yeah, I think it's exactly as you said, in terms of the plethora of social and environmental challenges that we face 
are so vast and every brand cannot tackle every issue in an effective way. So it is really prioritizing, I think, one, what you're passionate and excited about and invested in personally that to help guide what you're going to invest your company in trying to solve. And then two, if you're in a specific industry, looking at what are the material impacts that are caused as a function of you being in business. And so Mm -hmm. us being a fashion brand, the impact of waste and the use of synthetics was just the the two big challenges that we're tackling and of course other opportunities along the way in terms of fair trade and ethical practices are equally as important to us but where we strive to make the most change is um, that end of life piece and so I think defining a sustainable brand is really tough because I think when we're making products, we're making impact on the earth. And how can you do so in such, in the most responsible way? And it's really taking a look at your business and your operations and um, what happens to your product when it leaves your factory and it leaves your company and into the hands of customers. So it's really Mm -hmm. that entire journey and life cycle of the product that needs to be considered to really understand how to make a more positive impact in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. Um, So yeah, and it seems like you've really done a good job of like eliminating the plastic and the synthetics, not only from the fabric, but also I was reading in your site uh, how like even your packaging is plastic free, um, which is also, you know, not always the, it's definitely not the norm still. So. Yes. Everything that we do and that's incorporated in the brand or products has to be plastic free. It's like a hard, uh, a hard rule in our company. Mm -hmm. So what is one thing that you are most proud of so far in starting Kent? That's a good question. Um, I think I've been so proud of customers who choose to wear our products and that love mm-hmm. our products. I think creating something that people have grown to love that I don't know that aren't my friends and family that are providing unbiased uh, love for our mission and our product is so incredible to see and what keeps us going because we're doing something that's really resonating with people and that just makes it all um, worthwhile. Awesome. Yeah, it's that's so cool when you get like feedback from customers and it's like yes this is why I'm doing this you know like obviously it sounds like you kind of started it because it was like a personal challenge and and something that you cared about but then I bet it's really rewarding to hear that from customers as well definitely yes 100% so actually like going back what did spark your interest in sustainability and in looking for something different for in the underwear market I think before like the word sustainability was popping up, um, I, in my undergrad was a part of a social enterprise business club. And that opened my eyes around how business can be used as a force for good in the world. And I think that's where the whole, this whole idea of, okay, I can create a brand or I can create a company And its whole point of existence is not just to make money, but it's to make change. And Mm. that uh, exposure and understanding of a new way to do business has excited me since the beginning. And so I just knew whatever industry I went into, it would have to incorporate some element of positive impact. And yeah. 
it's like the priorities are different where it's like money isn't the only priority in your case. And in the case of a lot of more mission or values driven brands, it's there's, you know, people or planet or, you know, any number of different social causes that are equal uh, weight in kind of how the, you know, what decisions are made in the direction the brand goes. Exactly. Well, I have one qu- one question um, that I end every interview with, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the pieces you design, what would it be? This is a great question. And I would say that the one value I would communicate through our pieces that the earth has the answers and we create products that come from the earth and can return to earth naturally. And I think looking at how nature has these incredible systems that are already in place and happening without our intervention, that there's answers there for how we can all coexist in better way that has a lighter footprint um, for people and planet. Nice. Yeah, it's such a like thoughtful approach to like looking at nature. Um, I love it. Um, well, this has been so fun, Stacey, to be able to hear more of your story and um, the mission and the whole process with starting and now running Kent. Um, I, where can people find out more about the brand online? They can find us on our website at wherekent.com, W-E-A-R-K-E-N-T.com and Instagram at wherekent. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, send straight to your inbox. You can sign up for my email list at alisonhainis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.